Father, we just thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path. And God, this evening, we just give ourselves afresh to you and we just ask that you would have your way, you would just guide us, lead us, and you'd challenge us from your word to live lives that are glorifying to you. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Is anyone here tonight and you like fishing? Stick your hand up if you do. Oh, look at that. Fantastic. I, I love fishing. It's one of those um, recreational things that Penny and I really, really enjoy doing together. She's hopeless at golf, but she's great at fishing. So we, uh, we love just going out together. And, and whenever I think about fishing, I, I, I think about childhood memories because it was my mum who taught me how to fish. And it was her dad who taught her how to fish. And I remember uh, weeks with my brother in a little plywood canoe. We lived in um, West Auckland. And uh, dad would take uh, my brother Alan and I down to Blockhouse Bay Beach. And we'd launch the canoe there and we'd just paddle out into the, ca- out into the channel there. And uh, we didn't have enough money for an anchor. All right, so we had an old pickaxe that we used as an anchor with a bit of twine. And, of course, that wasn't going to hold anything. So generally, Dad would um, put us in at um, Blockhouse Bay Beach, and then uh, we would drift all the way down to Green Bay. (laughs) And Dad would then come and pick us up at Green Bay. And uh, we didn't have any clue about quotas or size of snapper or anything like that. So um, our cats just really enjoyed all of the fish that uh, that we got. Nowadays... Nowadays, uh, I have the privilege of passing on my skills to my grandkids, who are becoming keen fishermen as well. In fact, the other day, uh, they were over at our place, and uh, I'd had lunch in the boat with, um, with the two boys. Uh, they're age six and age eight, and we'd had a great time, and they'd learned about all the switches and all the other bits and pieces, and and after lunch, we packed up and we, we're heading back to the house and, and the six-year-old looks at me and he says, Poppy, he said, when you die, who gets the boat? <laughs> well, I thought, these guys are sharp. And I said, oh, well, um, actually, your dad and Uncle Pete are going to get the boat when I die. And they said, nah, nah, they don't like fishing like we like fishing. Uh, we want the boat. We want the boat. And I thought, yeah, how good is that? Already, already they're looking forward to the the future. The reality is that the things that we love, we pass on to the ones that we love. And uh, we should be in the pass it on business, passing on the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, Pastor Tark talked about Jesus' final command, and so we're going to read this again. But I thought it would be really good uh, not only to read about Jesus' last command or his final command, but we should read his first command to his disciples as well. And uh, you'll see that in Mark chapter 1 and verse 17. And he said to his disciples, this is Jesus talking, he said, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. That was the first command. That was the first thing he said to his disciples. Then, uh, then his last command in Mark uh, 16, verse 15, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' first call to us is to, for us to know him and to follow him. And then, as we follow and are obedient to him, Jesus makes us fishers of men, and his Holy Spirit empowers us to be his witnesses. So if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then not only is he giving life to your body, but he wants to empower you to be his witnesses. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just say, you have been empowered to witness for Jesus. Every one of us has been called to know Jesus and then to make him known. And we have been given the power to do that. But most of us have forgotten Jesus' first and last commands. And and we tend to treat Jesus' words as helpful suggestions rather than a command for living by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So he said to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. So what was Jerusalem to his disciples? Well, not only was it the town where they lived in, but actually it was the place of their greatest failure. When you think about it, it was Jerusalem where they denied Jesus Christ. It was Jerusalem where they scattered. So it's a bit like, who are the most difficult ones for us to witness to? Our family, our friends, our workmates, our neighborhood. Uh, They, to us, would be our Jerusalem. And they've got to be our first priority. The ones we love need to hear about God's love. And actually, we are best placed to be part of their journey. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 tells us that God wants everyone to be saved. We should have no doubt about that. So, So what stops us from using the gifts that we've been given to be his witnesses? What are some of the things that stop you from witnessing for the Lord? Well, sometimes we rely on others, especially paid ministers, to reach the lost. Uh, Our focal point tends to be church services. It tends to be inside the building. It's amazing. We've forgotten that most lost people live and work and play outside of these four walls. They're not in here. They're, They're out there. And I agree with Paul Harvey when he says of the church, we've strayed from being fishers of men to keepers of the aquarium. That's a pretty good one, isn't it? That's a pretty good quote. Uh, thirdly, we, we think marketplace ministers, that's people who are out in the marketplace, uh, are not as spiritual as church ministers. Well, that is just completely wrong. Uh, when you read in the Bible the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells us how a couple of religious people, the priest and the Levi, they walked past the man who had been beaten and was bleeding to death. Why? Because they were scared. 
because the road that they were on was called the Way of Blood because of the muggings and the killings that took place there. They were probably too busy. Anyone who's had anything to do with uh, church ministry will know that there is more things to do than you can possibly do in 24 hours in a day. Thirdly, they're probably too holy. It's obviously going to be a musician, Ravi. I can tell by the voice. <laughs> uh, too holy. They were engaged in religious duties. They may have seen helping this man as unspiritual distraction. We need to see and do everything. Everything we do is worship to God. But being a witness will cost you. But that's what God has created and empowered us to do. If you've been a Christian for more than a decade, you've probably forgotten what it was like to live without peace in your heart. I can't even remember what it was like. All I remember is even in my seventh form year at school, I was having to take tranquilizers, I nicked them off my mum, and to calm myself down before exams. I was just so agitated, so agitated. Whereas when I became a Christian, I had the peace of God ruling and reigning in my heart. And it just totally, totally changed everything. Another reason why we probably don't witness to people when we should is that we haven't reminded ourselves that lost people will spend eternity in hell. Jesus said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So if you believe in Jesus, what are you going to have? Everlasting life. And what are you not going to do? Perish. Okay. So if you don't believe in Jesus... What are you going to do? You're going to perish. Jesus was very, very plain about that. It, it's not PC to talk about hell. You don't often hear that in churches. But the reality is, it's the truth. Uh, William Booth, who is not known as a prophet, but is known as the, the man who started the Salvation Army, he, he said this, he said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. It'll be Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Man, that is just so true. Every one of those things you'll find has come in to the world today. We've, we've forgotten that there is a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as man is destined to die once after that, to face judgment. The one sure statistic is that every one of us are going to die. Every one of us are going to die. And the interesting thing is that very, very smart people, they plan for life. But very dumb people don't plan for death. 
So we don't, we don't think about what's going to happen when, when, when we die. And every one of us is going to die. Uh, Jesus talking about this um, and talking about the judgment says, Then God will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There's a hell that we are trying to avoid. And there's a heaven that we want to spend eternity in. It's amazing the number of people these days who say, oh, God is loving. And therefore, uh, he's not going to let people go to, to hell. And yet Jesus said this is exactly what's going to happen to all those people who don't know him. We don't like to think about good old Uncle Harry, who we really liked, who was not a Christian. We don't like to think about him being lost for eternity. But the reality is if we love someone, we would swallow our pride and tell them about Jesus. We would do everything in our power to move them a step closer to God. I mean, it was said of the apostles that uh, when the people in the Sanhedrin saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Now, as I look around, I don't think there's probably anybody here with a theological degree. Is that right? Anyone here got a degree in theology? No. So as far as the religious community is concerned, we're all uneducated, untrained. But it's interesting. The apostles reached multitudes. They were untrained. They were ignorant. No qualifications. All of us have the same level of qualifications as the apostles. And so your personality is absolutely perfect to reach some people. Don't copy. Try and be yourself. God's made you unique. In fact, my, my grandsons, my, my son says to them, okay, when you grow up, what do you want to do? Do you want to look like me? And he's tall and big and muscly. Or do you want to look like Poppy, who is um, weak and thin and skinny? And they say, oh, we want to look like you, Dad. We want to look like you. And then he says, well, eat your food. Eat your food and exercise. But God's made us unique. The, the body of Christ, I like to think of, is like a stained glass window. You have the light. The white light comes, shines in. But then it just is broken up into lots and lots and lots and lots of different colors. And it's those colors that make the body of Christ so absolutely amazing. Uh, be the color that Jesus made you. I was talking to a person before the service, and uh, I, was, um, I was saying how we've got a, a, a lady in our church who has fostered over 50 kids, and, I, and uh, we're thinking how incredible this is. And I said, hey, I'm, I couldn't do that. I'm just simply not gifted. I haven't got the heart to foster kids like that. And um, it was obvious that different people have different giftings because this person said to me, I'm pleased I'm not a pastor. And the reality is that God's given us all different giftings. And just as we've got different personalities and different giftings, we all express his light in a different way. And it's those different ways that draw different people uh, to the Lord. Never underestimate what one person 
and God can do. In 1858, there was a, in the city of Boston, there was a young Sunday school teacher. His name was Edward Kimball. Now, I guarantee that most of you here would not have heard of Edward Kimball. Anyone heard of him? Put your hand up if you have. Yeah, one. One person has heard of Edward Kimball. This guy, he loved God. He loved his kids. And he, he loved them so much that not only did he talk to them about Jesus on a Sunday, but he would go and visit them during the week. And in one of these visits, in one of these weekday visits, in the back of a shoe store, he led a young man to the Lord, and that young man was Dwight L. Moody, uh, who eventually left his shoe business to become one of the greatest evangelists of all time. It was through Dwight L. Moody's preaching that a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman got saved, and he too went on the road and became an evangelist. It was through Wilbur Chapman's preaching that a baseball player, a very famous man called Billy Sunday, heard the gospel and got saved. And he went off and uh, began to preach as well. As a result of uh, Billy Sunday's preaching, Mordecai Ham got saved. And Mordecai Ham in 1932 held a crusade in um, North Carolina in Charlotte. And there, a young man by the name of Billy Graham got saved. And as a result of Billy Graham's preaching, they say that 2.1 billion people have heard the gospel. 2.1 billion. But it all started with Edward Kimball. It all started with this man who just loved God and loved kids. And so he just did whatever he could do to get as many of the kids that he came in contact with to know Jesus Christ. And it finished well with Billy Graham. Well, actually, it hasn't finished with Billy Graham because who knows the number of ones that have got saved at Billy Graham Crusades, they're going to go on to be greater evangelists than even Billy Graham. So how do we get started? You know, we know we're supposed to witness. We know uh, we're supposed to be God's witnesses and out there in the marketplace. But how do we do it? Well, simple. Prayer, care, share. Prayer, care, share. We pray for our unsaved friends and neighbors and workmates. Everybody here can pray. Everybody here can pray for your family. If you were really concerned about them, you'd pray every day. I mean, we pray for our grandkids. And they're great kids, and they've been brought up uh, to know the Lord. We pray. Everyone can pray for our friends. Every one of us can pray for our neighbors. Every one of us can pray for our workmates. We have to tell God about our people before we can tell our people about God. The Bible says that nobody comes to the Lord except the Father draw him. So we're asking that God would draw people to himself. We pray. My brother got saved because Penny and I put a prayer request in for him in a church service. 
and a day later he had a dream and then the next night he had a, the same dream again and he was so scared of going to hell that when he woke up the second night he fell on his knees and he asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart answer to prayer God answers prayer we need to look for opportunities because prayer leads us on to care you can't pray for someone day in and day out without receiving the heart of God for that person and looking for ways to care we need to look for ways that we can care. We need to look for ways that we can build a bridge. Sally Koch says, Great opportunities to help others seldom come, but small ones surround us daily. Some of you will remember J. John. Um, Penny and I had the privilege of um, bringing J. John up to Whangarei, and uh, we drove him up via Mangawai and uh, stopped off, had a cup of tea there, uh, but uh, got to know him a little bit better. And uh, he is a great character, and uh, uh, we're just going to show you a short video clip uh, of the J. John in a situation where he decides to care. So, guys, if you want to just... Praying will always lead to caring. So, I was walking with my wife around the, the, the place where we live. As we're walking around praying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, I saw this woman. And I said to my wife, is that woman a, the single mother? She's called Barbara. Is, she, is that Barbara who's a single mother uh, who's got a, one son who's very sick? And my wife said, I think it is. Now, at that moment... You have a battle. Shall I? Shan't I? Shall I? Shan't I? Can I be bothered? I don't know. Shall I be bothered? You know, it's like you have a little battle. These days, I, as soon as I get that battle of shall I, shall I not, I do it. I do it straight away. I walk straight up to the woman. I walk straight up to the woman. I said, excuse me, is your name Barbara? She says, yes, it is. And she said, oh, she says, I know who you are. She said, you're, you're J. John, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. And uh, uh, I said, am I right that you have a son who's sick? And she says, well, actually, yes, he is sick. He's dying. Can you go and see him now? I thought, what does she think I do all day? <laughs> you see, we're all battling, aren't we? We're battling with thoughts. And I thought, but her son is dying. Of course I'll go and see I said, yes, I will. Now, by the way, Barbara was a new ager. Okay? Now, she knows I'm like a religious Christian minister. So she says, can you go to the hospice and pray for my son? Her son was 32 years of age. So we had to go all the way home, pick up the car, drive, find the hospice, find the room, find him. We find him, he's sleeping. My wife goes, are we sleeping? Are we, we, we'll, we'll go home and uh, we'll come back later. I said, oh, no, we won't. So, so I kicked the bed really hard. And then he, he kind of woke up like that. <laughs> right. So, okay, the guy, 
right? The mother's new age. The guy's never, you know. So he wakes up a bit. So I said to him, I said, listen, I've just met your mother. I mean, it's an awkward situation, isn't it? Now, this is a Jerusalem, Judea. This is like Judea. Okay, so I said, listen, I've just met your mother. I said, I'm a minister, and your mother asked me uh, to come and pray for you. Would you like that? Okay, when I said that, okay, I'm looking at this gentleman just here. Okay, this is what happened. He looked at me, and he stared me out. I mean, we're having a little problem here, aren't we? Because we don't know. You see, you didn't look down, is it? It It's awkward. And I was looking at him thinking, oh, Jesus Oh, Lord. Oh, no, Lord. This is so awkward. Oh, Lord. He's not saying anything. And it's really painful. It's like really... And this is what he said. I'd rather have a hug. And my wife and I, we leaned down. He lifted himself up. And the three of us in this hospice held we hugged, the three of us hugged together, and he started crying. He's 32. My Achilles starts crying. I start crying, and he held us for such a long time. And then eventually he let go, laid him down. I said, would well, you want the prayer anyway? <laughs> he says, well, I'm an atheist, but if you need to pray, pray. So I did, right? So I put my hand on his chest and then I prayed inside. I didn't pray outside. I prayed, in, I didn't let it all come outside. <laughs> you know, I'm going to head, headbutt him into heaven. <laughs> it was all on the inside. On the inside, I was like, come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. On the inside. I didn't let it all out. Come on, Lord. You know, you think I'm an idiot. So I prayed for him. And then I said to him, would you like me to visit you? He says, I would. So I started visiting him and I started talking with him and I started helping him on his journey. You know, he was atheist and getting him to become agnostic and then eventually getting him to face Jesus. And then there's a knock on the door, and I visit him a lot. And there's a knock on the door, we open the door, it's the mother, and she's crying. She says he died last night. She says, would you speak at the funeral? I said, well, of course I'll speak at the funeral. Now, I knew he was a DJ, right? But I didn't know that he was a really famous DJ. It's just that I meet so many people all the time, I don't know who, what they do half the time. And this guy was a really famous DJ, in the nightclub world of London, there were 800 people at the funeral, and I'm speaking at the funeral. I finished speaking, I got down off the stage, and people just flocked. I've got to speak to you, I've got to speak to you. What what, what did you mean? What did you mean you can go to heaven if you went via King's Cross? (laughs) These are all little things I said in the sermon. Now, how did that all begin? I'm walking around the community where I live and I'm praying for the kingdom of God. I get a quiver in my liver. (laughs) Shall I? Shan't I? Shall I? Shan't I? Yes, 
I visit him. As a result of visiting him, I end up speaking at a funeral with 800 people. I sow a little bit more seed into people's lives. You see, praying, praying, praying leads to caring. Praying leads to caring. And, and you just don't know the impact that you're having in people's lives. You, you wouldn't have a clue. As you just go about praying and caring, you don't know what's happening. I mean, last year, we had, um, Penny and I were well asleep. And this is about one o'clock in the morning. And we hear this knock on our front door. What do you do? So Penny sends me. <laughs> she says, shall I get the gun? <laughs> uh, I went to the front door and... Um, it was a young girl. Well, when I say young, she would have been 10, 10 or 11, standing there, freezing cold outside. I, I opened the door and invite her in, and it's our next-door neighbor. And she's like um, 200 meters away. And she'd come down to our place in the middle of the night because she was scared at home. I won't tell you all the story and um, what, what happened, but the reality is, of all the places, there were places that were closer, but she came down to our place. Why? Because she obviously trusted us. And so we worked through a couple of things and we were able to take her back and uh, we were able to sort out the problem. She'd been watching a film um, before that and she was, she was basically living out a nightmare that was in the film and uh, we were able to help her. Uh, but you don't know the impact that you're having on ones just by praying and caring. You know, we need to look for ways to build a bridge in people's lives. I love the story about Levi in Luke chapter 5. Basically, his name's Matthew. Levi gets saved, wants to get people connected to Jesus. He's not a preacher. He's a tax collector or ex-tax collector. So what does he do? He does what he does good. He holds great parties. So he throws a party. And he invites all his tax collector friends and he invites Jesus. And every one of us can do that sort of thing. Every one of us can invite people to where they can talk to someone about, about Jesus. Penny's sister got saved because Penny just just loved and supported her through incredibly difficult times. And then when her sister asked Penny about heaven and hell, Penny could give her an answer. Penny got saved because a friend invited her to church. I got saved because a friend invited me to a camp. Pray, care, then look for ways to share and move people one step closer to God. And just remember when you're sharing, you don't have to share the whole Bible all at once. Just share a little bit. Just, just ask the Holy Spirit, what's it going to take to move this person one step closer to God? But whatever we do, we need to be intentional. Uh, Israel Houghton, some of you will know him. He's a really famous songwriter. Uh, he's written songs like uh, You Are Good, Jesus at the Center, uh, Friend of God, 
in Jesus' name, uh, just a few. Uh, and he tells the story of how his, his mum got pregnant at 17. Now, she was an accomplished concert pianist, but her parents kicked her out of home. Her friends told her to have an abortion. Uh, she was doing drugs. Her life was really, really, really messed up. And one day when she was at her lowest, while she was out walking, a stranger stopped her car, ran across the road, came up to Israel's mum and said, I don't know you, but I have to tell you that Jesus loves you and you are not forgotten and you are not forsaken. And Israel's mum just burst out crying. And they sat down together and they talked and this lady led Israel's mum to the Lord. And his mother said, yes to Jesus, no to drugs, no to abortion. And she started reading the Bible and she joined a church. Uh, decades later, they were able to trace the lady who had randomly stopped and witnessed to her. And the, the lady had said that months before that encounter, she was messed up in her own world. And Jesus rescued her. So she said her only response was to become a rescuer. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And our job is to reconcile people, point them to Jesus Christ. Point them to him. Often, Simple words or simple questions are enough to cause a person to move a step closer to God. Uh, last year when Penny and I were on holiday, we were in uh, St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican in Rome. And our local tour guide had given us a wonderful expose of all the history and the background to the Vatican Church. And uh, it was just, it was absolutely phenomenal. And when our group had dispersed to do their own thing for 30 minutes or so, I, I turned to this young guy and I said to him, do you have a faith? Now, that's pretty unthreatening. I mean, he'd just been talking about faith and he'd just been talking about uh, all the things in this fantastic church. And so I just said, do you have a faith? And uh, he said to me, well, he said... Um, my partner is a Catholic, but no, I, I don't have a faith. So I was able to share with him how I was invited to a Christian camp, uh, how I'd injured my hand playing soccer, how I called out in my heart and I said, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. I was able to tell him how the Holy Spirit just fell on me and how my hand was instantly healed and I was able to tell him how for the first time in my life I realized that not only was God real but that he had a plan and a purpose for my life and that just absolutely blew this guy away because 
it's very, very hard to argue against experience. And I had had an encounter. I had had an experience. I had met Jesus Christ. And so he, I could see it, he was moving one step closer to God. He'd been an atheist, didn't have a faith, but he was now considering some of the things that I'd said. So now I'm, going to get, um, I'm going to get Dave, I'm going to put him on the spot now, I'm going to get him to jump up here right now. Dave is one of the evangelists in the church. He's got the gift of the evangelist. If you want to receive an extra measure of the Spirit of God for evangelism, I want you just to stand to your feet right now. And I'm going to get Dave to pray for you and pray for an impartation of the Holy Spirit. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you that um, the gifts are gifts for whoever wants to receive them. And Father, you give good gifts to men that they will bring other men and women and children to Christ. So, Father, I just pray for your blessing to be upon this congregation of people, Father, that, Lord, you would bless them with boldness, with courage, with wisdom, with a heart for sinners, Lord, with a a compassion for the unbelievers to bring people to Christ, Father. Lord, I thank you that you give good gifts to those who um, need them and want them. And, Father, I just pray that you create a heart that is uh, ready to receive and ready to pass on and give. And I just pray that, Father, and I bless this congregation with the ability to share Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.